that song is so many times we sing it, but do we really mean it? You know, I'm a firm believer in that God has a master plan ordained for every day of our life. Uh, long before you ever got up this morning and thought about coming to church today, you knew you were going to be here. Now, you had a choice. If you look around, there's a lot of people that didn't make that choice, but you did. And I'm so excited about the text that God has given me to speak to you today because I believe if you'll just pay half attention today that you can walk out of here realizing that God has a master plan for your life and it's a perfect plan and it's a design plan and that nothing happens by accident, nothing happens by chance, that it's something that God has allowed you to go through to make you stronger in each and every area of your life. So would you let these guys know you appreciate them today? Amen. You can be seated. If you'll take your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6, long about Thursday I, I began to get the sinus infection that everybody's had and I uh, wondered last night if I was even going to be able to talk today but I know that again God had a plan, God had designed this moment, he gave me this message to share with you today and so I, I pray today that you'll open your hearts and be receptive to the Holy Spirit, what do you have to say today? Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 1, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I also saw the Lord sitting up on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved, and at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now let me share with you today that um, I was raised in a shouting Baptist church. The church I went to, um, we shouted, people ran the aisles, um, jumped pews, jumped off the pulpit. You say, well, that sounds like a Pentecostal church. Well, in a lot of ways, we call ourselves Pentecostal Baptists. How's that? Um, so we, we were in a church, though, that we anticipated the power and the presence of God. You, if you don't come to our church and maybe you go visit other churches, you may have gone to church services and sat through the entire service and never once sensed the power and the presence of God. But I want you to know that when you come into the house of God, you ought to come here expecting for God to show up. You ought to come to the house of God expecting that if this truly is the place that he designed for worship, that he's going to be here long before you get here. That the very seat you're sitting in, that the power of the power of the Holy Ghost has already anointed your chair so that you would first of all get uncomfortable. Because if you get comfortable, you're going to get sleepy. And if you get sleepy, I'm going to slobber on you. So you better stay awake today. You better pay attention today. I'm not going to keep you long. Of course, I tell people all the time I like to say that because it makes people feel good when the preacher says I'm not going to keep you long. Yeah. Kind of like Elizabeth Taylor said to her seventh husband, I won't be keeping you long. So, um, <clears throat> But the power and the presence of God truly is something that when we sense it and we feel. You see, if you come into the power and the presence of God, if you read those first four verses and you really pay attention to what is said, it says that the power of God was so prevalent in that place that the doorpost moved. The power of God can begin to shake things long before we ever walk into or sense His presence. 
And so the Bible tells us that uh, there are some things that we need to understand. And the, the question that came to my mind this week is, how would I respond if I were in the presence of God? If I were face to face with God today, how would I respond? And I believe that Isaiah gives us three questions that we can look at and we can see very clearly today. The very first one is in verse 5. Look what Isaiah says. He says, then said I, woe is me. I really believe that what Isaiah said is, woe, woe. Because he sensed the power of God. He sensed the, he saw, the Bible says the place was filled with smoke. The very power and the essence of God was so prevalent in that place that Isaiah said, whoa, whoa. It's kind of like whenever I saw my wife the very first time, I said, whoa. You know, it's kind of that, that's the kind of woe we're talking about. It's that overwhelming presence of something awesome is in this place. And that's what we see here as Isaiah looks and he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Look what he says. He says, because I am what? I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Here's what Isaiah was saying. He was saying that we need to ask ourselves the question, how will I respond to the sin in my life when I'm in the presence of God? How will I look at what's going on in my life and allow the power of God to move in my life when it comes to the sin that's in my life? You see, the problem with a lot of us in this room is, and my wife says I say that a lot, but it's the truth. The, the thing that we need to really look at in our lives today is how, how is the sin in my life affecting my relationship with God? How is the things that I thank you? How are the things that I'm doing on a daily basis that's causing me to, to get to a place where I'm no longer in the power? You see, if you truly live in the power and the presence of God, it ought to be seven days a week, not just one day a week. If you truly have the power and the presence of God in your life, it ought to be in every situation that you run into in your life. How will I respond to the sin in my life when I'm in the presence of God? I believe we need to, first of all, say today it would be with no excuses. I looked up the word excuses, and the word excuses means to blame someone else. Now, how long has that been going on? Well, it started in the garden, didn't it? Eve, Adam blamed it on Eve. Eve blamed it on the devil. Ever since then, we've been, the husband's been blaming the wife. The wife's been blaming the husband. When you had children, you blame it on them. Well, we would have been at church, but the kids slept too late. We'd have been at church, but my wife couldn't get her hair to work out right, so we didn't come to church. See, the men used to be able to say that, but all these guys just started shaving their heads. They can't say that no more. We make excuses, don't we, about our sin. We blame it on every... Lord, it's just the environment that I'm in every day. I, I don't mean to talk like that, but God, it's what I'm around on a regular basis. And we begin to make excuses for our sin. And before we realize it, our sin becomes of no consequence to us. We don't feel guilty when we do it anymore. And Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am undone. No excuses, no empty confessions. You ever had someone say to you, have you ever had someone come up to you and ask you to forgive you and say this? I didn't really mean to say that. Hmm. The Bible says, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. My wife said to me when we hadn't been married very long and we were having one of those moments of intense communication. She said to me, I'm sick and tired of, of hearing you ask me to forgive you for the same thing over and over and over again. But it was true. It was an empty confession. 
And when we stand before God, are we going to try and use an empty confession? Are we going to try and say to God, God, I, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to sin. I didn't mean to give in. I didn't mean to fall. And it becomes an empty confession. But I want you to look at the second thing in verse number 8. Because what happens in verse 5, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But in verse 8, eight we see the second time that Isaiah cries out. In verse 8, he says, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And then said I, Here am I, send me. Can I ask you today that when you stand in the presence of God, not only how will you respond in the area of sin in your life, how will you respond to the area of serving in your life? When you stand before God and God says, what have you done for me? What will you be able to say to him? Because here is Isaiah, and Isaiah looks at this and, and realizes, first of all, you've got to realize this too, that until you get the sin out of your life, you're never in a position to serve. This past week we had eternity in you know, we had a lot of people that, that were so busy and wrapped up in everything in the world. But we, we, uh, we, we, we needed someone to play the role of Jesus. And uh, Jason Malawiski has done it in the past. And uh, he was going to, if anybody deserved to have a week off, it was him. They just finished the Blitz and everything had been chaotic in his life. And he was going to take some time off. And yet, in the middle of our tryouts, he got a text that says, we need you. And without question, he showed up. You know why? Because he knew that it was more important to serve than it was to sit out. You see, a lot of times we say, well, I'm going to sit this one out. I'm going to let someone else do this. I'm, I'm not going to sign up for the nursery because someone else can take care of the nursery. I'm, I'm not going to teach the two and three-year-olds because, number one, I don't like two and three-year-olds. But I'm going to let someone else teach two and three-year-olds. And we choose to sit out rather than serve. How are you going to respond in the area of serving? Because Isaiah says, whom sh the question was, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. If you look at Hebrews chapter number 12, verses 1 and 2, you'll find that it says, Therefore, seeing that we are so compassed about with such a great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is setting before us. You know, so many times we get involved in the things of this world and many are, are not serving because it's not a priority and many are so wrapped up in the things of this world that they can't see what God is asking them to do and, and so they set it out. And yet every night as literally hundreds of folks throughout the three or the five days began to walk the aisle and accept Christ as their Lord and Savior, it made the serving seem so small. I watched as angels stood up here for an hour and 30 minutes standing. I watched one of our little girls uh, was standing over here and she would do this. She would, she would raise one leg for a minute and then she'd raise the other leg for a minute. And then she'd raise one leg and she was doing everything. I asked her at the very end, I said, are your legs sore? She said, my whole body's sore. You see, sometimes we just need to serve even though we don't feel like it. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying, the Bible says. He knew what he was facing. He was facing the ultimate sacrifice. He would give his life. Now, some writers say that Jesus really didn't know how bad it was going to get. But that's a lie because the scripture says that before the foundations of the world began, Jesus knew everything. So I want you to stop and think about that just for a second. If Jesus knew, Cody, if Jesus knew how bad it was going to get on the cross and he was willing to still go to the cross and die for our sins, what does that say about him? 
It literally says he was all in. It literally says that his willingness to serve us went beyond his own selfish desires. But then I want you to see the last thing, and maybe the most important thing. And I, This is something that my eyes were so opened up to this week. But I want you to see this in verse number 9. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see you indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes. The Bible tells us that in the last days, perilous times would come. Men would become lovers of themselves. More worried about their appearance. The scripture says, looking on the outward of appearance, they have forsaken the heart of God. But look what the scripture says. He says, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. And then we see the third question. Then said I, Lord, how long? And that's where I want to take my text today. You see, the question would be, how will you respond when you're in the presence of God to the suffering in your life? It, it's, it's interesting to me that when Isaiah is faced with this question, the way that he responds... Because when you look at the text of the old King James Version, and he says, how long? Some people would interpret that to say that Isaiah was wanting to know before he was willing to commit, how long? How long is this going to last? How long am I going to have to go through this? And maybe you're sitting in this room today and you're going through a problem in your life or you're going through a situation in your life or you're going through a struggle in your life and you're saying today, how long is this going to last? How long am I going to have to go through this pain and suffering? How long is this situation going to stay in my life? How long? And yet I saw something different here this week. Because what I seen in the scripture was not Isaiah saying, how long is it going to last? But I almost see, if you really look and read some other texts of this same scripture, this is the way it really comes out. What it really should say is, Lord, no matter how long, I'm reporting for duty today. You see, the problem with a lot of us in this room is, is we're more concerned with the length of our suffering than we are the result of our suffering. We're more concerned with the, about, are we going to survive? And is, is my marriage going to survive? And am I going to be financially okay? Or is this, this going to destroy me? Is this going to be the end of it all? And so we get to God and we're like, God, I'll suffer for you, but I'd like to know how long. And yet Isaiah gives us a new perspective when he says that we need to learn that when we're in the presence of God, rather than say how long, to say, God, however long it takes... I'm reporting for duty, and I'll serve you no matter what. You see, we see in this text, and we see in the scripture, uh, several questions that all of us are going to have to ask ourselves today. The first part is, is that we need to understand that struggles are part of a Christian's life. Look at the life of Paul. Paul struggled, was beaten, was shipwrecked, was deserted on an island, and yet Paul continued to serve God. You say, well, preacher, I didn't think a Christian could ever get depressed. My dear friend, I want you to know something today. Some of the strongest Christians I know have gone through depression in their life. Elijah went through it. Elijah suffered depression. 
We saw that in the, the message two Sundays ago when Elijah began to hang up his, his harp in a willow tree. When Elijah, after wicked Jezebel had threatened to kill him, Elijah was ready to give up. Depression is real. This past week, I received a phone call from a hospital in South Fort Worth from a young lady who attends our church. And the, 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 the person on the other end of the phone says, we can't really tell you who or what. But this particular young lady has asked that we call you and ask you to pray for her because she's tried to take her own life. Depression is real. Discouragement is real. Struggles in your marriage are real. You, you see, you, you don't need to just give up on your relationship and go find another one because guess what? Here they're going to come again. How many of y'all remember whenever you was in the third grade? Now, I know for Curtis that's kind of a struggle. But for everybody else in here, maybe you can remember when you was in the third grade. When you was in the third grade, you began to take tests. And you found out in the third grade that if you failed that test, you had to do what? You had to take it again. And you had to keep taking that test until you passed it. Well, I want you to know something today. In your spiritual walk, in your spiritual relationship, God's not going to let you move on until you pass the current test that's going on in your life. The current struggle that's going on in your life. God, God wants us to change. You see, I wrote this in my notes because what you say about your suffering will determine how long you suffer. Instead of saying, God, how long does this have to last? And how long am I going to have to go through this? We can report for duty and say, God, no matter how long it takes... I'll serve you all the days of my life. I was getting ready to come out here today. I was reminded of a story that happened many years ago. And there was a, a, young, a, a man that led the music at the very first church that I ever pastored. And, and uh, he had the worst arthritis I'd ever seen of anybody. And he would literally take his, his left arm and hold it to his right arm. And this was back when we had the old hymn book singing. And he would take his arm and he would do this. this is, he could not even move his right arm, much less his right list. And he would just, that's the way he led the music every Sunday. Whenever we would get to sing and our family would get to sing and maybe a faster song. And a lot of people in the church would begin to clap their hands. It was so painful for him to clap his hands that he would pat his arm. And I remember him coming to me one day, and he said, Preacher, and this guy was way older than me. He said, Preacher, he said, would you mind praying for me that God would heal me of my arthritis? But this is what he said that changed my outlook on it. He said, but even if he doesn't, I'm not going to quit. You see, so many of us in this room today are faced with situations and circumstances in our life. And we're saying to God, God, how long? How long is my heart going to be broken? God, how long is my finances going to be in a mess? How long is my marriage going to go on in this situation? And we need to change our outlook today to say, you know what, God? However long it takes, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. C.T. Townsend is a young evangelist that preaches up in the North Carolina and all up in that area. And he tells the story of how that he and his wife Becky had only been married a short amount of time. And uh, Becky's mom was the, the secretary of the church that they went to there in, in North Augusta, North Carolina. And she would sing and, and God would use her in a mighty way. But one Friday, she began to cough. Just a simple cough and it wouldn't stop. And they rushed her to the emergency room and they said that maybe she had pneumonia. And they began to look into all these things. And a week later, they, they finally come back and said, we hate to have to tell you this, but... You've got cancer. 
And so they put a port into her and they told her to go home on a Friday and to come back on Monday. And on Monday they were going to start the chemotherapy. And on Friday night after she got home, she had lost so much weight and she was so weak that she literally collapsed in the floor of her house. And on Friday she died. C.T. Townsend, being an evangelist, was off preaching. And he said he rushed home to his 19-year-old wife who was completely devastated and destroyed by what had happened to her mom in a matter of a few days. He said, my wife became so depressed and so discouraged that she just wouldn't even talk to anybody. She, all she wanted to do was just stay at home, and she didn't want to answer the phone. She didn't want no visitors coming over. She was just so discouraged. She said, I, I got to where instead of going off and preaching, I would come home every night. No matter how far I had to drive, I would drive back home to be with my wife. He said, one Friday I was getting ready to, to go preach and he said, his father-in-law called and said, hey, God gave me a verse for Becky and I'm going to come over tonight and give it to her. And CT said, he, he said, he told his father-in-law, he said, I've quoted her the entire Bible, but if God gave you a verse, come on, bring it on. And Becky's the one that tells the story. She said that when her father arrived at the house, that she sat down, that he sat down in front of his daughter and said, God gave me a verse for you today. And Becky said, I was so angry with God because of what I was going through. I was so angry that God had allowed all these horrible things to happen to my mother. And then she died within a matter of a week from getting diagnosed. She said, I looked at my dad and he was getting ready to read me the verse. And she said, I crossed my arms and I looked at him with a dead stare. And he quoted this, this, this verse. He said, in all things, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And she said, I looked at my dad, and she said, how dare you come in here and tell me that I've got to thank God that he took my mom. How dare you that you can come into this house and tell me that in everything I've got to give thanks. And she said her dad simply laid his Bible down and got down on his knees and began to pray. And she said it dawned on her about 15 minutes into her father's praying what the scripture really said, and I hope that it gets you this morning. You see, because a lot of times we think that God, that scripture said, for all things, give thanks. We read that later on in 1 Thessalonians where it says, in everything give thanks. But did you pay attention to the wording? It wasn't for all things. It was in all things. see, you're never going to be able to thank God and get out of the situation that you're in until you learn how to thank him in your situation. C.T. said that he had gone on and preached and he would got home and he said usually when he'd get home his wife would be asleep and he says about three o'clock in the morning when he arrived home and they lived in a little mobile home and he said I walked down the hallway I took my shoes off and trying everything not to wake Becky up and he said, when I rounded the corner, I looked into my little bedroom, and there sat my wife with the light on, with the Bible in her hand, and with like a thousand snot rags all over the bed. And he said, Becky, is everything okay? And she patted the, the side of the mattress and said, CT, come sit down. And he said he sat down, and when he sat down, he said, Becky began to tell the story of how that her father had come over and shared that scripture. She said, CT, about midway through my dad's praying, 
She said, I believe with all of my heart, I heard the front door of the house open. And she said, the only way I can explain it to you is, is that when the door of the house opened, she said, I felt a presence that I haven't felt in a long time. She said, I believe with all my heart, CT, that whenever that front door opened, that it was the Holy Ghost of God walking back into my life. She said, has my daddy been praying for me for 15 minutes? It dawned on me that he wanted me to thank him in the midst of my suffering for all things. You see, the problem with a lot of us in this room is, is we say we're going to thank God whenever it's over. Some of you are sitting here today and you're blaming what's happened in the past. Well, if this hadn't happened, I'd have never got a divorce. If this hadn't happened, we'd have never lost our home. We're, we're blaming the suffering for our situation. I've shared this with you guys before. I have four children. Two of my kids have never, ever, April's my oldest, never, ever struggled with drugs, never struggled with alcohol. Two of my kids have never, ever had any addiction problems whatsoever in their lifetime. And then two of my kids have been through hell on earth. Everything from methamphetamines to marijuana to Xanax. And I remember about four years ago driving down Fort Worth Highway saying to God, how long? How long? God, how much longer are my boys going to have to go through this? But it dawned on me this week that we spend way more time questioning God about how long than we do on thanking him that we've reported for duty and that no matter what. You see, I'm going to tell you something today. I'm committed to my relationship with to the Lord that no matter what happens in my life, come hell or high water, I'll serve him with everything i got. The suffering of our present time is nothing in comparison to the glory that awaits us. We may think that this world has the best of us and that this world is destroying us and that the suffering that we're going through is going to take us under. But I want you to know today that when we begin to realize that we're reporting for duty and that no matter what comes my way, I'm going to give him the glory. I'm going to praise him with everything I got. It's what you say in your suffering that will determine how long you stay in it. You see, I believe today we need to stop telling God to get us out. I think that we've all made that bargain at times, haven't we? Lord, if you'll just do this, if you'll just answer this prayer, if you'll just solve this problem, and yet today there are some of you that are in this room that can relate to the, the scenes that were in eternity the other day whenever the, Lacey was playing the spot of the role of the person who had cancer. See, it's not for all things, but in all things.
give thanks. You remember the story, and I promise you I'm done. You remember the story in the Old Testament of Joseph. <laughs> Joseph was just a lad of a boy, and he was his father's favorite. You remember the coat of many colors. His dad made him that color, and he was obviously the favorite of the father. And his father sends him to check on his brothers. And when he gets to where his brothers are, they hate his guts because he's daddy's favorite. They throw him in a pit. They throw him in a dungeon. Eventually, Brother Smith, they pull him out of the dungeon and they sell him as a slave into Egypt. Joseph goes to Egypt and gets in Potiphar's house. Potiphar's wife accuses him of trying to attack her. He's thrown in prison again. He interprets a few dreams and as a result he ends up being back in the king's house. Eventually it would be Joseph who would be made the ruler over the entire kingdom of all the finances. And it would be Joseph that day that would be standing overhead as his brothers would walk into the very room that their brother was in and say, we need food to eat. You see, Joseph could have said, God, how long? How long am I going to have to go through this? How long am I going to have to be without a father? How long am I going to have to be without a Matter of fact, Joseph is the one that said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. There are some of us in this room today that need to get to the place in our life where we stop looking at our, at our suffering as an end and start realizing that we need to be thankful that in the midst of our mess today, the Holy Spirit is walking into your life. And as my, my daughter and the kids sang a while ago, we can say it is well. It is well with my soul. Young couple sitting right over there this morning. Anybody in this room had a right to say, God, why? It would be them. But I've watched these two over here as their faith in God over the last few months has gotten stronger and stronger. I've seen them as they've grown closer together. And as she posts those pictures of that beautiful little baby boy that today is walking streets of gold. They're not saying, God, how long? But now they're reporting for duty and saying, God, I know that one day. Eyes have not seen and ear has not heard. You see, I believe God sent little Marcus to heaven to make heaven better for all of us. We can sit around and bellyache and gripe and complain because we stump our toe. Or because we get a headache. Or because we don't feel good. Or because we got a snotty nose. Or we can report for duty today and say, God, I don't care what it takes. However long you want me to do this, then Lord, I'll do it, no matter what it takes. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't know what you need today. I, I think it's real easy for us all, and I know that I'm guilty. I think it's real easy for us to look at our circumstance and our situation and to say this is just the worst how could it get worse than this 
I'm glad that the present suffering that we're going through is nothing compared to the beauty that awaits us in glory. <laughs> and I believe today with all my heart, if we look at ourselves and say, if I was in the presence of God today, is there a sin in my life that needs to get confessed? You know, if you're a Christian, you've been saved any amount of time at all, you've got a sin that you're battling with. Your sins may not be the same as they used to be. You, you may not struggle, uh, struggle with the bottle, and you may not struggle with drugs. Or maybe you're struggling with your mouth. Maybe you're here today and you've just realized that I've, there's a sin in my life that's keeping me from being what God wants me to be. And before I can even enter, you see in the Old Testament, before they could even enter into the Holy of Holies, they had to go before the labor. And when they got to the labor, they would wash themselves and purify themselves to make sure that they were perfectly clean before they went into the presence of the Holy Spirit. Is there a sin in your life today? You see, you can't, you can't wait until you're out of it. You've got to confess it while you're in it. What about your service to the Lord? Maybe in the past you've served the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. Maybe this morning you're just tired. Lord, I'm going to sit it out a little bit. God doesn't have time. We, this time is so short, we can't sit out anymore, church. We need to be busy doing what God's called us to do and what we know God's called us to do. And then maybe you're suffering today and maybe you're just going through something nobody even knows about. And this morning your eyes have been opened to the fact that you need to thank God for what you're going through. Would you, would you just look up here for a second? Let me share something with you. If you're saved this morning, you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. What you're going through cannot destroy you. Can I repeat that? If you've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ and your name's been written in the Lamb's book of life, what you're going through cannot destroy you. Job lost everything he had. And yet God restored him back. Not only did he restore him back, he restored him back ten times more than what he had to start with. Lord, I'm not going to complain anymore about what I'm going through. But I'm going to praise you that you love me enough. Please listen to me. I'm going to praise you that you love me enough that you've allowed me to go through this because when I come out the other side, I'm going to have something on me that I didn't have when I went in. I'm going to have the power and the presence of God in my life. And that means more to me than anything else. Would you just stand, every head bowed, every eye closed. Jack's going to lead us in a beautiful song this morning, but don't you wait.